oh man, I tell you, I got to say on behalf of our family, thank you. Um, the last few weeks have been uh, a little bit dull <laughs> um, and uh, isolated, but uh, it was your love and your grace toward us uh, that definitely uh, the Lord used to sustain our encouragement and our energy and our hope. Uh, I don't know how many times over the last couple of weeks as you've served us that we've said our church is so amazing and we're just grateful uh, to be a part of it and be on the receiving end of such blessing. So thank you. Thank you so, so much. And it's important to note that, you know, people are wrestling and struggling in varying degrees right now. And uh, we felt uh, a little... Uh, like um, uh, blown away because even your grace extended far beyond our need. And, uh, you know, we were okay. Uh, and you guys were all the more gracious just to love on us. And uh, it was definitely an encouragement. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and I must say I was bummed out last week to sit on my couch and watch worship. Um, and yet, I got to say, it was, a help, it was helpful at the same time. Why, you may ask, was it helpful? Because it helped me understand, uh, again, what it was like to not be able to be there. And I think it's important for all of us, especially myself as I process this, to just continue to be attentive to the reality that some people, while we celebrate this privilege, right, are just not able to be here at this time. And I pray that as a church that we would continue to be aware of that and be attentive to it and take steps to reach out uh, to people, whether they've been exposed or contracted the virus or not, that we would be a church that continues to care for and reach out to people who are nervous, uh, who have heightened levels of anxiety, uh, who have jobs, that if, man, if they get this and bring it back, it complicates not just their own lives of life, but the lives of many. And so just an encouragement to you, this has been a church that has done that. Uh, and yet uh, a, a reminder, let's sustain this care. Let's sustain it. Let's be sympathetic and patient with those who are not here. And so that was a good reminder for me. Uh, to continue to pray for and reach out and be sympathetic to those who are unable to enjoy this privilege and this necessity in the Christian life, gathering together to worship God as a church. Amen? Amen. Jeremy preached well last week. I was a little jealous, I ain't going to lie. I kind of wanted to preach that text. And I was scheduled to preach that text. But of course, the Lord had other plans. And uh, the Lord had decided that Jeremy would preach, and he did a fabulous job. I have to just simply highlight for us, as we're transitioning into Matthew chapter 10 together in our series in Matthew, just a simple yet powerful verse that Jesus spoke in Matthew 9. He told the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. As he looked upon the crowds, he had compassion, and he told the disciples what? The harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. And then he told them what to do about that reality. This abundant harvest. And yet, lacking of laborers. He said, pray. He said, pray. This is what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest. I want you to pray to the Lord that he would send out more laborers. That's what's needed in this moment. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. And so we ask the question, will the Lord of the harvest answer that prayer? Knowing he will. The question then becomes, who will he send? Who will the Lord of the harvest send into the harvest field to gather? And how will he send them? Matthew chapter 10, 1 through 15. Matthew 10, 1 through 15. Listen to what Matthew records. Matthew 10, 1 through 15 says this. And he called to him his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey, no or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you, will listen to your words, shake the, off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. All God's people said, Amen. If you've noticed anything about Matthew, really any gospel for that matter, you'll notice there's a particular rhythm to Jesus' ministry. It's actually quite simple. You ask the question, what is Jesus doing in the world? Well, he is preaching and he is healing. Right? It's kind of a back and forth rhythm. He teaches and he heals. He preaches the reality of the kingdom of God, and then he validates the reality of the kingdom of God, the inbreaking of this kingdom through the deeds, the signs that affirm that reality. 
preaching healing. Word, the. You see that rhythm. But now you see a shift in the same direction. We see that Jesus is now calling, he is empowering, and he is sending. That's what Jesus is doing here in this passage. Actually, if you look at the whole chapter of uh, of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, that's basically what we see him doing. He's turning to the disciples, and he's calling them. He's empowering them, and he's sending them. That's what we see Jesus doing in the lives of the disciples here in chapter 10. So first, Jesus is calling his disciples by name to himself. I want you to see that. Right? You see this, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples. Right? He gives the list of names here. And they're identified by name. Right? Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, James, John, and so on all the way to Judas. This identifies by name real people who were his disciples. They were called by him to himself by name. And it's interesting to think about when you have these names, you also have kind of the background and the story about how how all of that took place, if you remember. We looked at this in Matthew's Gospel, didn't we? We saw that he called Peter, and he just said, follow me. Right? Peter was doing his thing. He was fishing amongst the, the rest of the disciples. They were just going about their everyday business. And Jesus came to them on divine initiative. He called them by name. And what did he say? Follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Jesus called his disciples. He takes the initiative on the basis of divine grace, a decisive action takes place in their lives. And what does he say? And I love the verbiage. I love the language of Matthew. Don't miss it. And he called to him his 12 disciples. They're his. In some ways, that gets at the nature of discipleship right from the beginning this morning, that ultimately discipleship means that we're his. We're called to him as his own. These are his disciples. We belong to Jesus. Ultimately, that's what we see. And fundamentally, we see that we are called as his own. Peter, you are mine. Andrew, you are mine. John, you are mine. Follow me. Very personal, very uh, 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 relational, and it is decisive. Tom Dugan, you're mine. Ann Stockham, mine. Tracy Bianchi, mine. Mike Maisie, mine. That's what discipleship is. That's how it goes down. Jesus takes the initiative. He approaches you and he claims you as his own. What an amazing thing to think about this morning as we name these off. He calls you his and he calls you to himself. It seems like just a, a simple preposition. And he called to him his disciples. It's just a physical uh, marker, right? There's a calling you were once over there, and I'm calling you to over here. 
It's not just physical. It's actually much more than that. It's very personal, very relational. He's calling you from something else, from someone else, to Himself. That's what this Jesus does as He calls. Calls Him by name. He calls them on the basis of His divine grace. He calls them on the basis of a decision He's made. No merit in themselves. Nothing. He calls them. But not only this, we see uh, at the end of verse 1 that He gives them authority. Christ calls them and then He gives them and empowers them with authority. An authority that is derivative of His very own authority. He's given them the authority. We've, we've been stressing that over the last couple chapters, especially chapter 8. Right? This, this idea that there's authority in Jesus, that is the hope for the world. That Jesus has authority over leprosy, over creation, over the demonic, over everything, even our sin. Jesus has authority. Now, we see that Jesus is giving that authority to His disciples. Right? That's what He's doing. He's giving them authority to do the very same thing that He has done. The mission of the disciples is not to do anything different. It's to do the same things. The very same things that Jesus is doing in the world. And so He empowers them. And that's an important note to emphasize and for us to think about as disciples. It's an important note to think about. That apart from Christ giving us an authority, we don't have any. Apart from Christ giving us what inherently is His, unless He shares it with us, we have absolutely no authority over anything in this world. We are dependent upon Jesus, absolutely dependent upon Him. And so are the disciples. That any authority is one given by Him, it is derived from Him. There are no disciples who are self-called, self-declared, or self-sufficient. Amen? All is from Christ. All is from Christ. So if you're feeling weak today, If you're feeling insufficient today, if you're feeling inadequate today, guess what? That's just the nature of being a disciple. And you're in a perfect position to receive from Christ what what is His and His alone, authority and power. What an amazing thing to think about. So we need His calling and we need His power. And then we see that Jesus sends His disciples. Don't miss this, verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles, right? They're not just disciples now. This is the first time that Matthew calls them apostles. An apostle just simply means one who is sent. They're defined by that word disciple, and now there's another phrase that defines who they are in relationship to Jesus. They're sent ones. They are apostles. Sent as a representative of the sender. That's who the disciples are. They're apostles. They're sent ones. And so we see in verses 5 through 8, these 12, Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, 
but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. So Jesus sends the disciples. He sends his apostles. And he sends them, as we see, to a specific people here. When Jesus sends his disciples, he sends them to a specific people, right? We understand that this series is called Lord of Heaven and Earth. It's all-encompassing. It's universal. We know at the end of Matthew's gospel that he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. That's the progression. But in the mission of Christ, and now the mission of the disciples, there's a particular order and progression. And he's telling them very simply, listen, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans yet. He's saying, I want you to simply go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right? As we understand that Romans is in our series, right, that salvation has come to the Jew first, right? And then to the Gentiles. So Jesus is instructing them for the time being to go specifically to the people of Israel. But he also tells them to go with a message. There's a specific message. And what do we notice right away? It's the exact same message that Jesus has been preaching. He tells them to proclaim the central message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The disciples are not authors. They're messengers. They're not coming up with a message. They have one given to them. And their simple task is to proclaim that message, to herald that message. Does anybody know what a herald is, does? That's what that word is here, proclaim. That's actually what the preacher does on Sundays. He proclaims. He's not an author not that creative people say hey great sermon today it's like it's the word of god (laughs) i didn't come up with it at all actually this is not my own doing and anyone that preaches knows that humility that people are really affirming the reality and the power of the truth of the word of god when they say that it's not you it's god you herald something Right? That's what a herald does. The herald is a representative of the king who sent from the king to the public square. And the king, and he says what? Hear ye, hear ye. It's not a dialogue back and forth. Man, we want that in preaching. It is a, a declaration from the king, and it's a very specific message. It's the message of the rule and reign of God in the world that you must respond to. Hear this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what they're doing. They're proclaiming. It's these pe- They don't have their own message. They don't have their own authority. It's all derivative. It's been given by Jesus to them. And they represent him as they go. And then we see that they're sent with an authority. They're sent to a people with a message, with an authority to bear witness to the reality of the kingdom of God. That's what they're called to do. They're sent to bear witness to, the, to Christ's kingdom in that particular way. In their preaching, 
and in their doing, their, 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 uh, um, in their words and their deeds. That's what the mission, how the mission is done. And that has a lot to say to us today about our task, doesn't it? It has a lot to say to inform our posture and our purpose in the world 2020 Renovation Church. It has a lot to say to each and every individual disciple of Jesus, every follower of Jesus in this room. It has a lot to say to us. We understand that Jesus said at the end of John's Gospel, As the Father has sent me, so have I sent you. We're a sent people in the manner and way and message of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. As a disciple of Jesus, you're called and empowered and sent to bear witness to Christ's kingdom. That's the whole message this morning. I want you to understand that. That has profound implications about your identity. That has profound implications for your purpose. It has profound implications to your understanding of your relationship to God through Jesus Christ. I may have said this before. kind of comes up here and there. Is I asked, uh, I don't know how consciously I asked this, but I know that I was craving an answer to, the, to, the, to three questions as a kid. And I still think, honestly, if I were to be fair, I probably am still searching for that uh, definitive assurance. And I'm hopefully searching in the right place to find the answers to these questions. But the three questions were simply this. Who am I? Who am I? What's my identity? The second question is, why do I exist? Why, why am I alive? What's the whole point of this life? And then finally, which may have really been asked first, right? Does anybody love me? Right? Because that's important. Right? Does anyone love me? Right? Who am I? Why am I alive? Does anybody love me? I wonder if some of you are asking and interacting with those kinds of questions uh, in your life. Maybe, maybe not as overtly right now, but I wonder if you're looking for a sense of identity, a sense of purpose. What is this all about? Especially as we navigate through COVID, which is such a disorienting season. Like, you can forget who you are. You can forget why you're alive. You begin to wonder in isolation, am I loved by anyone? Am I the only one that wrestles with these three simple basic questions? I think it's inherent in humanity, the search for the answer to this, the search for identity, the search for purpose, the search for love. Well, I think in a very powerful way, we get all of that right here. We get all of that. Right? You see Christ coming to these disciples and calling them to relationship, calling them to Himself. He does so as an act of divine grace. And surely as, an, and a, as a manifestation of covenant love to the people of Israel and ultimately to the world. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're loved, infinitely loved. You're in relationship with the God who is love. 
Not only that, is out of his love, he clarifies for us who we are, really who he's making us to be. We're his disciples. We're his followers. And in here we see an addition that we are missionaries. We're sent ones. We think of missionaries as people way out there doing work in a far distant land. But Jesus is telling every one of his disciples that, no, you are the missionary. You're the one I'm sending in the place that I'm sending you to, to the people that live and interact with you in that particular place. You are a missionary. You are a sent one into this world to what? Bear witness to the reality of the kingdom. That's who you are. And that's the sense of purpose that all of our lives interact with. No matter what our career is, no matter what our vocation, no matter what we do to put food on the table, no matter where we live, no matter what our ethnicity, we're a disciple of Jesus, we're missionaries. Everything we do in life, work, home, community, it's all part of the missionary task. Every disciple is a missionary. So hear that today. As a disciple of Jesus, you are called, you are empowered, and you are sent to bear witness to the reality of Christ's kingdom. What an honorable, privileged position and identity for us, especially given who we once were. Back to the disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, a group of ragtag goofballs to some degree. That's us. That's what God has done in Christ in saving us. He's brought us to Himself and He's given us a purpose, a divinely given purpose to participate with what He is doing in the world by bearing witness to the reality of the kingdom and all that we say and all that we do. Find a more significant purpose and identity than that. Praise be to God. That's who we are. That's who we are. Called, empowered, sent missionaries to bear witness to the reality of the kingdom of God. Amen? Jesus goes on. He tells them, really, Not just what to do, go preach and heal. But as you encounter these villages, there's a particular manner in which I want you, there's a posture in which I want you to approach all your interactions, all the responses. He goes on to say this, you received without paying, give without pay. Man, this one could be easy to gloss over. This one could be easy to just keep reading. You received without paying. Give without pay. Sent by Jesus, the disciples must go in the grace of the gospel. They must go in grace. You received without paying. Give without pay. It reminds them, and it reminds us this morning, how they, how we experience the reality of Christ and the kingdom of God of God and the gospel. It reminds us. It brings us back, doesn't it? 
do receive without paying. You know, more and more bills, like, you don't get anything without paying in this world. Right? It's Christmas time. Y'all know this. You don't get anything without paying. You say, well, I got rewards. <laughs> you still pay for something. You don't receive anything without paying. You work, you earn, you buy, you pay, you get. That's, the, that's how it works in capitalism and society. That's how it works, right? It's my dad. You want something, work for it. Then you can get it. You can pay for it. Save your money. You don't pay for it. Uh, um, you got to pay for everything. Nothing's handed to you in this life. You got to pay for it, right? That's just typical. But what he's saying here, and it's a reality I think we can't get enough of. I can, like, I can't get enough of this. I might be here for like 20 minutes, just this little verse. I can't get enough of thinking about and reflecting on this reality that the gospel, the saving reality of the gospel, the, the experience of the kingdom of God was given to us free of charge. It's just given to us freely. You received without paying. Do you remember that? When's the last time you thought about that? You received Christ, the kingdom, without paying. You didn't pay with your merit. You didn't pay with your money. You received it without paying. It was free. Saved by me according to freely given mercy. It cost me everything. It cost you nothing. Praise be to God. Praise be to God because we all know, right? We've got nothing in our pockets. We've got nothing before the holy God of the universe. We've got nothing got no merit we've got no money and jesus said that's okay you receive without paying you come to me in faith you trust in me i give it to you matter of fact i came to you and i called you when you respond to me in faith you have it it's yours free and that reality becomes all-encompassing for the mission he's saying listen grace is all-encompassing for the mission of the disciples it's not about the money. It's about the gospel. It's shaping the nature of the mission. It's, it's an act of giving. That's what mission is for the disciples. It's an act of giving. It's not forgetting anything. So he says, listen, acquire no gold, uh, uh, no silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. Listen, don't bring anything on the journey. You're not going to need it. Just, with, just, just go. Don't ask for any money along the way. Don't get led away by, by, by jacked up, distorted motives. No, this is about grace given to you, grace given to others. Go. And know this in that last phrase, right? He says, for the laborer deserves his food. He's saying, listen, I'm going to take care of you. You go. You, you, you give without paying. Because you received without paying. Grace is, is not just the content of the message. It's also the manner in which we engage the mission. Right? We don't just 
preach grace, we preach grace in a gracious way. We don't just give. All right. Church budget. Whoop. Fine. We don't just give. No, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. He's doing fine. We give joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. The manner matters. And he's saying, listen, disciples, as you obey, go in grace. Preach grace, but go preaching grace graciously. Graciously. Give joyfully. So the mission is is full of grace. And that's not easy, is it? Right? How many of us just do the right thing and forget why? How many of us do the right thing and forget how we ever even encountered Christ? How many of us parent and we just do what's responsible? By the way, that's good. Don't stop being responsible. <laughs> how many of us do the right thing Without grace, without joy. I wonder if it's because we've forgotten how it's all even started. We've been disconnected from how Christ originally engaged us with the gospel, how it was given to us freely, and therefore we forget that it's the same thing as us being gracious to a lost world. Parents, as we engage our coworkers with the gospel, all right, I told them about Jesus. Understand that. Like, I can get like that. I can, let me tell you, I can pastor like that. I can pastor without grace, without joy. I can just do what's right. And I can have in my mind, even subconsciously, like just a little bit of self righteousness to make me feel better. And inside, it can grow cold and bitter, and I can get disconnected from the grace that saved me, let alone called me to this ministry. It's easy for us. Jesus says, listen, as you go, go in grace. And he also says, go in faith. Right? Go in faith for daily provisions, as we've already said. They're to journey on mission from village to village in the trust that God would provide everything. Travel lightly, unencumbered by things or commitments. Live simply. Know that your work will always lead to my provision." Right? It's, obedience in this way can be hard. It'd be hard to trust God with all that, right? I mean, I like to control the variables, don't you? I like to know what's coming tomorrow, Friday, you know, how we're going to pay the bills next week. I, I like to have everything kind of figured out, reverse engineered. So there's no discomfort. So there's no confusion. So there's always self-made assurance. Like, I don't know if I'm the only one that, that has that temptation, but I'm assuming many of you struggle with the same thing. Especially in COVID, we're always trying to create, solve the variables and keep everything in control so that all we don't go crazy with all this stuff. Jesus says, listen, go. Don't worry about all the details. I've got it all figured out. You're going to have food. You're going to have shelter. I'm going to provide for every single thing that you need along the way. That's my job. You just go and trust me. Trust me. So the disciples are to go in faith trusting in Jesus for every single necessary provision in their lives. Do you struggle with that? What an encouragement from Christ. I'm going to take care of it. The worker deserves his food. The laborer deserves his food. He's saying, 
my people, those who receive you, they'll take care of you. It's an amazing thing. I'm trying to speed up a little here. Also trusting God for the results. And that's what I kind of see as a summary of verses 11 through 15. As the disciples go, they're trusting God for the results. Man, what an important thing to think about when it comes to the mission of the church and the ministry of the church and our missionary posture here in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County. We're trusting God for His provision, and we're trusting God for the results. We're going, but God is doing the work. And I think Jeremy emphasized that a lot last week. He says, Whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. Does that mean finding people who have this amazing moral character and are, are better than others? I, I know that's, that's, that's not what it means. Most scholars and commentators would say, no, someone who's worthy is not meant to be understood as someone who's just got it together spiritually, like as if they're better than everybody else. The simple distinguishing marker was that they were just willing to hear and be receptive to hear and respond to the message. They're willing to receive them. They're willing to receive, at least hear and listen to, without hostility, the message that they were bringing. And so they're saying, listen, don't force yourself on anybody. Look for the people that will receive you. Look, look for the people who are, are at least initially receptive to the message and your presence and go to that house and stay there. May your peace be upon it. So we're trusting God for those who would receive them in their message of Christ in the kingdom. Look for receptivity. Stay there. Let your peace be upon it. But then he goes on to talk about those who would not receive, who would actually reject their message and their presence. And I think we just have to realize that even if it's tragic for us to think about today, that as we engage in the mission of Christ in this world, there will be people who will what? Receive us in the message, and there will be people who will reject us and the message. We can't expect everyone to receive it. I remember coming out of seminary at 24 thinking, like, everybody's getting saved. You know, like, we planted this church in 13, like, northern suburbs, 90,000 converts in two years. You know, like, you just think, this is it, right? And then you hit reality, and it's tragic. Not everyone receives. Not everyone is interested. Matter of fact, most people could care less about your new church that you're starting. That there's a ton of hostility, rejection, and indifference to the world about Christ and His kingdom. We have to just let that sit in, as tragic as it is, and not think that we can manufacture any results from the mission. We're just called to be faithful, to go to proclaim in a gracious and faithful way. That's our calling. And we trust God for the results. In the face of those who receive it, and obviously, as we see here, in the face of those who reject it, and they will. What does he say? For those who would reject it. It says if, verse 14, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, Shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, you will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah 
them for that power. What's going on? People reject their message and they're shaking the dust from their feet. It was a practice that the Jew would do when they would uh, journey through a pagan village or town. And they would come into contact with uh, idolatrous ideas and practices. And as they would leave that place, they would literally shake the dust from their feet as a testimony against them. You have rejected our God. You have rejected uh, his truth. And so it's interesting here because what Jesus is saying, remember, these people are traveling from town to town only to the Jews. You see that what Jesus is insinuating is that just like the Jews would practice the shaking the dust off the feet to basically say you've rejected God, you've rejected his word, you're basically telling the Jews that to reject Christ's message, to reject Christ's disciples, is making you pagan. It's making your place idolatrous, subject to the holy and righteous wrath of God himself. What a shocking and offensive thing to say and to do more accurately. It would be more bearable. If you read Genesis 19, if you read the Sodom and Gomorrah passage, which I reread this morning, it's an uncomfortable text. It's a narrative that points to the holy, righteous, wrath of God on human wickedness and sin. He's saying to reject Christ, to reject his his message, to reject his disciples, to proclaim that message, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for them. What a sobering reality to think about. And I think for many of us, this becomes a uncomfortable motive, but it's still a good motive. It's still a biblical motive. Right? Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord. What he's talking about there is the, the coming day of judgment. Knowing the fear of the Lord, what? We persuade others. That mission is motivated by the reality that one day Jesus will return We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will be judged on the basis of what we did in response to the gospel. What we did in response to Christ, his identity and his person and work. And that everyone who has rejected him will suffer real eternal torment. Separate from him. It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those who reject Christ. And we're talking about real people. We're talking about real uh, um, eternity. So as we think about the mission, we do so with a sense of heaviness. We do so with a sense of urgency. With a sense of intensity that we are being sent to proclaim a message that will save people from that. And we are praying to the Lord of the harvest that He would send us out into the harvest field to reap fruit 
fruit that will bring salvation and freedom from any judgment to come. If that doesn't motivate us, it's not the only motivation, but if that does not motivate us to see our identity and to to embrace our purpose in this world as a church and as Christians, nothing will. Nothing will. So may we be motivated by grace, but it's a grace that saves us from wrath. Amen? Amen. Disciples of Jesus are called to, empowered for, and sent on a mission to bear witness to Christ's kingdom. So know who you are in Christ. That's my first application. Know who you are in Christ. Disciples, missionaries. That's who you are. Two, orient your life to the mission Christ has called you to, to bear witness to His kingdom in the world. Orient your life to that. Why am I alive? To bear witness in everything I do. I've got to be a pastor to do that. It's every follower of Jesus. Orient your life. Think through this particular arena or aspect of my life. How am I engaging in the mission of God in that particular aspect? Orient your life. Go, proclaim, bear witness in word and deed. That's it. And I have to. I know I'm going long. But that's what happens when I get quarantined. So listen. <laughs> I think this is really important. Because it's easy for us to hear, go, get out there, save people, get into the uh, cracks and crevices of society and interact. And I've seen the look of confusion and frustration on two kinds of people's eyes. And I want to speak directly to that. Number one, parents, more specifically mothers. They got three to four kids at home, and they feel like, where am I going? Where am I going for Jesus? I'm no missionary. I need to be very clear. That is a lie from hell. Because parents, specifically mothers, there's three or four souls right there in your living room. Mothers are on mission, just like anybody else the same honor, the same degree, and the same significance. Don't think for one minute, moms, that you've been relegated to some corner and maybe someday you'll be on mission. You are on mission for Jesus right now. And he's empowered you and called you to bear witness to the kingdom in those small, sweet, sometimes punk souls. So be encouraged. You're not relegated to some other category, mom. You've been sent to the very place Jesus wants you to be. Amen? If anybody needs power from the Spirit to make it through a day, right? I remember Doreen left for a couple hours when we had first had our baby. I thought, this is never going to end. Like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done, right? This is a dear calling. This is a very dear calling. Moms, you're on mission too. Dads, you're with them. So 
partner with your wife in that mission. Second person I want to talk to and try to just uh, encourage this morning. Seniors and the aging. Seniors and the aging. I hear a lot. Uh, this is your time for the young ones to do it. And I can't do what I used to be able to do. And I think about those who are incapable of even leaving their house right now. You're calling me to go on mission to the crooks and crevices of society? I'll never forget a conversation I had with my grandfather about two months ago. As he talked to me in the driveway at his house, in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of caring for my grandmother, he looked at me and said, I feel useless. He's going to be so mad at me. I feel useless. I feel like I'm, I, I, I'm not doing anything. And I looked at him in the eye, and I said, Grandpa, let's be very clear. You are fulfilling Christ's mission and purpose for your life every day in the way that you're caring for your wife. At the age of 83, you have just the same amount of purpose as any one of us do. It may not be visible. It may not be public. But Christ has called you to sit there and be present with and encourage and serve and love your wife. And so if you're aging, don't think for one minute you're not a part of the mission of God. You're doing exactly what Jesus has called you to do. And you're making an eternal impact on a soul for the glory of God. Amen? I said to my grandpa, you know what? You're teaching me, the young ambition, ambitious one, who's so all over the place and trying to manage more, 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 more all the time, that the most significant thing is you just simply obey in kindness and love and to be faithful to Jesus. You're teaching a congregation what it looks like to be faithful to the end with your spouse. You are teaching us about purpose, about mission. Who will the Lord of the harvest send? You. Let's pray. Father, you us in your son you've empowered us through your son and you've sent us to bear witness to your son all the more anchor our identity in you shape the purpose of our lives your will and ways use us for your glory we pray you that you would send out more workers send us in Christ's name Amen we stand and respond in song